we are hanging out today briefly <laughs> uh, in Jeremiah. Um, so uh, for those of you who are visiting or are new as a church, we read through the whole Bible every two years. So we have a daily reading plan, one or two chapters a day. And then on a Sunday, we hang out where we've been reading. And, and so we're hanging out in, in Jeremiah. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you might want to flick to it there. Uh, some of the scriptures are going to come up on the screen as well, so that will be great. Um, last week, Dennis kicked us off in Jeremiah, and it was amazing. He gave us this history of what was going on at the time. He talked about what had happened with the, the, the nation of Israel and how it had been divided and how the northern kingdom had been carried off by Babylon, and then the southern kingdom was about to be carried off. Now I've got that the wrong way around. Northern kingdom, Assyria, southern kingdom, A first, then B, Matt. Assyria, then Babylon. Um, and, and he was talking about the fact that Jeremiah was called as a prophet into the nation at that time, in the midst of all of that chaos, all of that brokenness, all of that darkness, all of that messed up culture that was happening. Um, and uh, Yeah, and it was such a mess, wasn't it? Such a mess. And, and I don't know about you, but as I've been reading Jeremiah, I was like, we need a Jeremiah. We need a Jeremiah today. I was looking at the stuff that was going on then and the stuff that God is saying to them. And I was like, we need to hear that. Our culture needs to hear that. The people of our time need to hear what God has to say and what he was saying to them. Because I, I don't know about you, but I look at our culture and sometimes I think we're in a mess. We're in a mess. Take a look at um, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 28. Um, This verse, this verse really captured something for me of about the time that we're in. It says, therefore say to them, this is Jeremiah is to say to, to the people of Judah, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. And I was like, oh, like every day I feel like our nation takes, takes another step away from the heart of God, another step away from the teaching of the scripture, from the truth where there is life. And every day I hear these stories, I read them in the news, and I'm like, we are slowly, bit by bit, walking away from the, from the ways of the giver of life. Why would we do that? And the verse goes on, and it says, Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. I was like, oh, isn't that true today? There is no one fixed truth, right? In our society today, everybody has their own truth. You do you. You be you. Believe what you want. Enjoy what you want. Do what you want. Your truth is your truth, and nobody can argue with it. And, and I think it, we're all smart enough to know that that just cannot be true. Sure, you have your experience of life, and that is valid. That is valid. But to say everybody has their own truth, and truth can be whatever you want it to be, it just doesn't make sense, does it? We know that there is truth and there is lie, there is false, there is what is not true. And, and two cannot both be true at the same time. It just cannot be. Oh, the message of Jeremiah needs to be for today. Look at Jeremiah 7 verse 19, just a, a few verses up. I think sometimes we can read the scriptures, and particularly books like Jeremiah and the prophets, and we can think that uh, God's just this angry God, 
who's annoyed at us all the time for all the things that we've done wrong, and he's angry, and he's upset by it, and he's annoyed at the things that we do. But, but look at verse 19, where it says, but am I the one they are provoking? Question, am I? No, no. What does the verse say? It goes on and it says, are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? And I love this verse. I think this verse it just gives us a little bit of insight into the heart of God. God's like, yeah, you know, this stuff makes me angry. This stuff upsets me. This stuff breaks my heart. But do you know why it makes me angry? Do you know why it breaks my heart? Do you know why it upsets me? Because it hurts you. Because it hurts you. I love you and this hurts you and I made you to live life in all of its fullness and you are the ones that are suffering. Yes, I am your father and it breaks my heart. This shows us that God loves us, that he cares for us. Ah, oh, that we would hear the heart of God in this time, that we would hear it now. So so why? Why had this happened Why had this happened back then and why is it happening now? What is going on here? And for that, I want to go back to Jeremiah chapter 2. So if you turn back there, uh, we're going to look at verse 13. We're going to hang out a little bit on this verse. This verse says this. My people have committed two sins. Number one, they have, it doesn't say number one. I'm just adding that in, all right, just to make it really clear. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Number two, They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What a weird verse. I don't know if you ever thought about this before. How is digging a cistern a sin? What is that about? Like what? And and I've said this many, many times here. And I want to just say it again to be really, really clear. When I talk about sin, I'm talking about the Hebrew word hatar. And that Hebrew word hatar, it means to miss the mark. Sin does include... Uh, what we might call transgression, which is about breaking laws, okay? But sin is not just about breaking laws and doing wrong things. Sin is this much bigger concept. It involves that stuff, but it involves that stuff because when we do those things along with other things, we miss the mark. We miss the mark. There's this target and we're called to everyone. When we were made as human beings, God said, I've made you in my image and I'm calling you to be like me and I'm calling you to live life to the full and I'm calling you to bring life to the world. And when it tells us that Adam and Eve in Genesis sinned, what that was about was they failed to hit that mark. They missed it. And, and sometimes we do things that aren't illegal. We do things that aren't really bad. We can hear the word sin and think, you're telling me I'm a bad person. I'm not, and I am, but I include myself in that as well, if that's okay, all right? But, but I'm not directly telling you that. Actually, sometimes we just do things that aren't evil as such by our standards, but they miss the mark of the fullness of life that God wants us to have. And so when God says they have committed two hatars, two sins, he's saying they've forsaken me, they've moved away from me, they've forgotten me, the spring of living water. Now, I love my food, and I'm not sure how many days I could go fully without food, but the reality is I'm told scientifically, I'm yet to test this, and I don't think I ever will, but I'm told you can live a long time without food, but without water, you're screwed right? Okay, you need water. Life, you need water to have a life. And God says, I am that life source. You can survive without lots of other things for a long time, but without me, you cannot survive. 
You miss the mark of being fully alive and you end up, we, we read in the Bible that all sin leads to death. You end up in death because without me, you cannot live. You cannot live. That was number one. And it leads to number two, where they end up digging their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And I want to just hang out on this one for a little bit and we'll work our way back to number one. But um, what's God's issue with cisterns? Uh, well, <clears throat> cistern essentially is a tank. Okay, and in the ancient Near East, water cisterns were, were quite common. There's not a lot of water available all the time in places like that. It can be dry and arid. And, and so what they would do is they would dig cisterns or build cisterns to collect the rainwater. So God's problem with this is I'm a spring of living water coming up from the ground, fresh, clean endless. But you are building something to collect that that you don't know when it's going to come. You don't know how much you're going to get. It might not be all that great. That's problem number one. You are trying to find life and fill your life with this source of life and it's not reliable. And that breaks my heart because I love you. Problem number two with the system is your systems are rubbish. Who taught you how to build? Like, they're rubbish. They leak. They don't hold water. Probably they didn't hold the water all that well because it's really hot over there and it's going to evaporate no sooner as it's rained, you know. But, but also, they've got cracks in and it leaks that, that the heat would dry out the, the stuff that they'd built things with and it would just leak. And so this little bit of water that you're hoping for just drains away. I wonder, guys, let's bring this into our time. And imagine this is Jeremiah speaking to us. I wonder, you may not have built a cistern lately, but what have you been building to, to hold on to, to capture a sense of life, a sense of hope, a sense of peace, a sense of joy, a sense of love? What have you been building to try and get more of this life in your life? I wonder, and as you, as you ponder on that, I want to ask you this question. Is it working? Is it holding that life? Are you refreshed all the time? When you capture it, does it last? Or does it seem as if your cistern has cracks in it and it seems to escape you? It seems to drain away. I wonder what cistern you've been building Maybe you're sat here thinking, I don't know what we're talking about, Matt. <laughs> What's a cistern? Um, let me throw some things out for you. Some of us turn our jobs into cisterns. We try to find meaning, purpose, hope, acceptance in our jobs. Some of us do that with our church. We get annoyed when people turn the chairs the other way because I liked it as it was. And when it was the other way, I had peace and I knew where I sat. And then you moved everything, and now my peace is gone. We can pray for you later. Or you can punch me on the way out. I don't mind. Um, some of us find we build systems out of our families. Our families are the be-all and end-all. But families break. Families break. Money, possessions, pornography, alcohol, drugs, to bring it right up to date. What about a cause? 
How many people in our society build their system, the thing that gives their life meaning out of a cause? I'm going to champion this cause, and my whole life is about that. And then someone that's leading that cause turns out to have done something bad or illegal or abused somebody, and the whole thing falls apart. Every system that we try to build ends up with cracks. It breaks. It leaks. It doesn't hold life. We build these systems. We build them because something is missing. Something is missing. That sense of life, that sense of hope, that sense of joy, that sense of peace. Something is missing. And so I need to build something to capture that and to hold on to it. Well, turning from God will lead you to feeling like that. Because he's the spring of living water. Why would you try and capture rainwater when there's a spring of living water? He's the spring of living water. Do you know, guys, the, the, the Bible is the story of people that keep making this mistake. And 2,000 or even 4,000 years later, some of us are still doing it. You think we've read the book, we would have learned the lesson by now. But we're still doing it. You, you know when they tried to build the Tower of Babel? so they could get to heaven, so they could have security and identity. They tried to build a system to capture something of life and community that they could only really find in God. But why did they do that? Because they'd moved so far away from God, they tried to do it themselves. What about Abraham? Surely Abraham didn't build a system, Matt. Surely Abraham, the righteous one, got it all right. What about when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a, a line that's going to carry on for generations and generations. And Abraham went, yeah, that sounds amazing, Lord. I've got a better plan. Let me do it myself. Hey, let's take Hagar, my maidservant, and sleep with her and have a child with her instead. And look at the mess that landed them in. The brokenness in their family because they trusted in their, their wisdom, their way of doing it, not in God's way of doing it. Turn with me to, to Jeremiah 2. Just go up a few verses to verse 11. It says this. <clears throat> Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. He's saying, hey, look at all the other nations. They are, they're faithful to their gods. Even though their gods are bits of wood and metal and nothing, they are faithful. But you, my people, you, my people, you have You've got me, the living God, but you keep running after all these other gods. Has a people ever changed its God? But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Their glorious God for worthless idols. When I was reading that, I was like, I've read a verse that sounds just like that in the New Testament. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Hundreds of years after that, a guy called Paul is writing to the church of which many of them were Jewish believers in Jesus. And, and he says this to them in verse, uh, let's go verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Oh, all this time later and they're still doing it. They're exchanging the relationship with God, knowledge of God, intimacy with God for images, for things that are nothing at all. You notice it says here that some of those images are people. How many of us put our hope in people? I was dwelling on this and I was, did a wedding yesterday. I didn't preach this at the wedding, but, but I did a wedding yesterday and I was just thinking, man, how many marriages have failed because people put too much expectation on their partner? And it's a weight too heavy to bear. 
People get married and they suddenly think that this person is going to be my all in all. They're going to be my everything. They're the answer to all my problems. They're going to hold me up all the time. Do you know that they're a flawed human being as well? And when both of you are doing that, wow, how often do relationships fall apart because we expect too much? We turn that person into a God. And in our society, we wouldn't use that language, but we, we talk about the love of our life and the everything. And don't get me wrong, I love my wife. And as perfect as she is, there are some things that sometimes I get wrong. <laughs> I've been in once, I don't want to go in again. <laughs> Ah, uh, guys, guys, F- flick back to, to Jeremiah uh, chapter 11. Jeremiah chapter 11. In verse 12 to 13, it says this. The towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense. That's the false gods that they turn to. But they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. Why? Because they can't help them. They're just not actually gods. They've got no power. And then it says in verse 13, you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns and the altars you have set up to burn incense. You have as many gods as you have towns. And the altars you set up to burn incense to, that shameful god Baal, are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. Sorry, lost my train of thought there. Um, you have as many gods as you have towns. It got me thinking about that. I was like, oh, when we turn away from the one true living God, the God who gives us hope, who gives us peace, who fills us with confidence, when, when I am in good relationship with him, I know who I am. I know who, and I stand firm on the rock that is Jesus. And when I stand on that rock, I'm not worried. Yes, the winds come, the rains come. But when I've built my house like the wise man on the rock, I can withstand that stuff. But when I step away from that and I become like the man who built his house upon the sand and the winds and the rains come and the storm, my house gets blown down. And I'm left cold and shaking and hit by the elements. And how often, even as a follower of Jesus, do I end up here when I should be here? Oh, Forgive me, God, and bring me back again and again. How often do I end up here? It made me think that whenever we turn away from God, you know we end up with as many gods as we have towns. We end up with as many gods as we have areas in our lives. Suddenly when I'm out of, out of sync with the one true living God, I need a God for work. I need something to reassure me for work. I need a God in my family. I need someone to keep my family together. I need a God, and so on and so on. You fill in the blanks. But we end up with as many gods as we have areas in our lives. What do we do? What do we do when this happens? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, all the twos uh, should come up. Yeah, it, it says this. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What should I do? What should I do when when I realize that my cistern hasn't been working and I'm empty? My water's gone. My hope is gone. My love is gone. my, My joy is gone. My peace is gone. What should I do? I need to flee. I need to flee from that cistern. And pursue Jesus. Pursue the one who is righteous, faithful, loving, and full of peace. I need to pursue him. 
many of us do this. When, when, we, when we realize that the water's gone or that our cistern's not working, what we do is we try and patch up the cistern. If I could just, you know, sort this out. If I could, uh, confession, uh, sometimes it can be like that with, for me with church. Well, if I could just sort this problem out, then church would be great. If I could just, when that person's come to me with this thing and that person, if I could just sort this out, then they would get on and this would work and that would happen and it would be perfect. I am telling you now, I'm, I'm fleeing from all of that stuff. Is that all right? <laughs> it's time to move on from that stuff and it's time to pursue Jesus. It's time to pursue Jesus. It's time to do that in all the areas of our lives. Let's stop trying to patch things up. Let's stop trying to make a broken, empty cistern work. And let's go back to the spring of living water. Yeah? It's time, guys. It's time for us as a congregation. It's time for you as an individual. It's time. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, I love this. He says, this one thing I do, one thing, forgetting what is past, he says, and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal that is Jesus. I'm like, hang on, Paul, that's two things. You're forgetting what is past, and then you're pressing on to what is ahead. But no, 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 I've come to realize that is one thing. So many of us, when we make that two things, we never get on to pressing on what is ahead, because we're always trying to forget what is past. We're always trying to deal with what's behind us. Actually, what we need to do in, in order to move on to what is ahead, we just need to turn and run towards it. Because as we run towards it, we leave that behind anyway. We leave it behind. Press on to Jesus. Press on to Jesus. Guys, let me tell you, this is the message of Jeremiah. This is the message of Jeremiah. Um, th there's a word that is used in Jeremiah in the Hebrew. It's the word shuv. Okay? And you may have read it in your Bibles in English as return or repent. And it comes up again and again and again and again in Jeremiah. The word shuv in Hebrew is used in the Old Testament just under a thousand times. Over 10% of the uses of that word are in this one book in Jeremiah. This is the heart of God through Jeremiah to the people. Come home. Come home. Return. Return. And you know, this is the great thing. Because there is a way for us to come home. Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way. When you don't know which way to go, run to me. I am the truth. When everybody's telling you that there's all these different truths and truth seems to have gone, I am the truth. Run to me. When your life is empty and you don't know how to catch it and hold on to it, Come to me because I am the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He says that he is the only way to the Father. The only way. In, in John 4, Jesus, he's having this conversation with this woman at a well. And uh, he tells her that if, he, if she asked him for a drink, he would give her living water. And I'm like, oh, was he thinking about what God says in Jeremiah when he said that? But then in John chapter 7, turn with me to John 7 and we're, we're, we're coming into land here. I promise we're touching down. You can see the lights of the runway. Uh, John chapter 7. Let's read verse 37 
to 39 together. It says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and in a loud voice, he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink and rivers not broken cisterns with little trickles of rainwater, but rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is saying, hey, your cisterns, they do not work. The rainwater is not consistent and it is not enough. But what I have for you is more, more, more than enough. More than enough rivers of living water will flow from within you. You're not going to have to hunt around for it. You're not going to have to strain for it. You're not going to have to stress over having it. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what you're doing, a constant supply of life-giving water is going to be welling up from within you. Do you know what we call it when water wells up? A spring. Who did God say he was in Jeremiah? The spring of living water. You see, if you come to Jesus, the one who is the spring of living water will come and dwell within you and you will know life always, all the time. You will know life and you will live it because the God who is the spring of living water will come and dwell within you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going we're gonna to worship. Um, and by that, I mean we're going to sing in a minute. Okay, um, but here's why we're going to do that. Not because we do it every Sunday, but we're going to do that because worship brings us near to him. Worship is us running to him and drawing near to him. In, in the Old Testament, when the, the book of Leviticus, whoop, whoop, favorite book, the book of Leviticus is all about how to worship and it's all about how to draw near to God. At the end of Exodus, which is the book before, they're outside the tent and they can't get in because it's all gone wrong. And then Leviticus, all these instructions about worship and sacrifice happen. And the very first verse of, of Numbers, which is the next book, tells us that Moses, the representative of the people of God, was in the tent of meeting. Worship brings us into his presence. And so today, if you know that you need life, today, if you know that you need to hold on to something that's true, today, if you know that you need a way back to the Father, then draw near to him. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to worship. Um, I'm, as we worship, we're going to make a bit of space down here. But as we worship, I just want to invite you, if you know that today you need that spring of living water, if you know that today you want to say, I'm done with my cistern and I want water that never runs out. I want water that gives life in all its fullness. I want to invite you as we sing, just come. There's space here. Just come and just come and be here as a sign to God that's saying, I'm coming to you. I'm coming back to you. I am shooving. I am returning. I am coming home because I know that you are all that I need. Just want to invite you to come as a sign to say yes to him. And, and if you would like prayer when you're here, then some of the prayer ministry team will be here. And they might just say to you, would you like me to pray for you? And you can say yes, and they will. Or you could say, no, I've just come, and that's fine. They won't pester you, all right? There's no pressure. 
But if today you know you need him, come. Throw everything else off. Forget what is past and run towards what is ahead. Run to Jesus. Why don't we stand?